Oh, wow. (laughs) 
Jennifer, she's duplicated herself. Oh my God, what's happening? We're the witches of Miami in the middle of our EPB break, saying hello and love to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Witches of Miami, we're greeting you from the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love Study Group. Yes. <laughs> We, all of us, all of us, we would all hug all of you. Here we go. We're going to all hug all of you guys like this. Yay! <laughs> you ready, everyone? Can say yes, no? Yes. Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Yes! No! Yes! <laughs> Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. <laughs> oh, whoa. My internet connection is unstable. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, not sure what other surprises are waiting in here. So could you unleash them slowly and in some kind of order? Who, who has surprises cooking that wants to talk about it? Who would like to go first? I have a surprise, it's a more of a celebration. I, there's, there's one, at least one person in this call that has completed with me uh, the first English online expand the box training. Wow. And yay. that is Nicole. <laughs> Nicole, yay. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a world first. Yes, wow. world first online expand the box in English. Nicole, can you give us a report? I can. My, my gremlin's name is Shark and it's been a wild ride into a deeper underworld than I, than I knew I had, um, but I really am surprised that I'm surprised. And, and I also, it, all, of the, all of the emotional healing processes that, that have come about, the initiations that happened, and especially while I'm also just in the start of the Rage Club Spaceholder training at the same time. Um, and last week when I came on and I, I was so full of like, all the different possibilities for books that want to be written and and I I I have a celebration because um, last night with Devin um, I did an emotional healing process that helped me to get kind of crack um, the decision that has been holding back my creativity and my my clarity for noticing what's next for me to create and, and to create it for, for no reason except that it's there for me to create and I wanna do that. 
Wow. Wow, what teamwork. I have to shut my window. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Vera. Thank you, Nicole. I was just on, just now, uh, just a couple of seconds ago, I was online with um, Dagmar Turnagel and Michael Hallinger in Munich, who are online with a team of three trainer type people in Australia. And they have about 70, 75 people who have already done expand the box training in Australia and they're dying for a lab. And so the team in Munich is not going to Australia because of the virus. So they're gonna hold space with the three people in Australia and create a lab for Australians from Munich. And this, wow. this whole wild thing is happening with, the, with people inventing, like we're inventing. I had to call them up. I said, you can't do this. This is impossible. This is not gonna happen. You know, what are you doing? And now I'm really excited about it because I talked to them and they've been thinking about all these things and there's, it's just uh, it really figuring it out. So it's happening. And I mean, they, they just had to cancel just now in Munich, a full, a fully booked with waiting list possibility lab because of the lockdown. So they're just, this weekend was gonna be this whole lab. They just shut it down. And uh, anyway, there, and plus, and now in Poland, there's people in Poland who, um, who have come, they, they put on a, a, a lab on a date on a calendar in Poland. I think it's for, for March or April. It was completely booked out in two hours with a waiting list. And so they just put up another, uh, these guys, uh, Dagmar and Michael are going to Poland in, in June to do a whole nother lab and it's booked out already also. So it's like, I don't know what's happening, but it's, we have to roll with this one. We really have to, we're rolling with it. So thanks for the celebration of the Expand the Box English online. Other, other things cooking from other people. Jeff, you look like you're in Costa Rica. Is that true or where are you? Not yet, still in Tulum but in a beautiful okay. jungle. All right, Tulum, yeah. Okay. It's not as, it's not as uh, black hole-ish as you think here, as long as you're not on the beach. Okay. Thank you. Andra, how's it going in your department? Well, I just finished the list about the ordinary relationships. It was quite hard. And on the, uh, in the end, I read that I should read it once a week for three months. Well, I'm just still processing that. It's really difficult. I think we could all agree with you. We all agree that how difficult that is. It's really to look at that as difficult. Thank you for doing the work. I saw 
somebody that I didn't see before in here. Maybe I don't see the picture anymore. Yeah, anybody else want to say something right now? You know, I can call on, on my name, like Sophia Magdalena. You do not look like any kind of Sophia Magdalena that I ever saw before. So what is happening? What's happening to you? Mm, not burning down of goodwill is happening in lots of new adventures on saying no and can you be specific i had an experiment last weekend i did a whole day experiment of being a bad girl and what came out is this nose piercing for example and it reminds me on being an asshole and keeping my no jacket and i start to feel that I want to say no, that's what's happening. And I said no to, I don't know how many people yet. Yeah. So, that's, so you have a nose piercing? Yeah. Would you get really close to the camera so we can see it? Oh man, this is serious. This is really serious. Vera, I think you're a wild influence. <laughs> I'm not going to live with you guys anymore. I'm just going to not going to move in because I don't want to. I'm. I don't want a nose piercing. <laughs> and Chloe and I were living with those guys over in Portugal for a while, but it's dangerous. I guess it's dangerous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Christina, how's it going in Berlin? Um, I'm pretty joyful, actually. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to the time that's coming now. I'm really excited. I can't wait. It's like the energy's tickling. In this what city. is coming? I don't know. Yesterday, I just wrote down a bunch of stuff about religion and made putting all the symbols together and it's basically just all about the sun and um, I wrote this text yesterday and it was actually a, a call I had with Vera and then I was writing all this stuff down about the religions and oh yeah it's basically um, all the same <laughs> and I oh. have never really had an education in the different religions, but somehow it just came to me and then I was all combining it into one and it's Buddhism, Islam, astrology, Christianity. And I was just stripping it all down to just one. Wow, thank um, you. And now I'm writing about that. Ah, great. Wow, thank you. And yeah, I'm very joyful because of that. <laughs> wow. Well, and Shannon, I heard you are on the trainer path in America. I am. I, I feel such joy being on this path. 
And I, um, I got to connect with Sophia Magdalena for the first time. And I got to hear about possibilities and my, there was this moment where Scott East talked about going on a hunt and we, we had a send off ceremony for him. It was beautiful. And, and so my, my next intention is to have a return from the hunt ceremony for Scott East. Thank you. Can I add to that, Shannon? So this is a legend from the intimacy cafe of the trainer path. And so Scott is going to an indigenous village for a wild hunt. And it hadn't, it hadn't dawned on him that he, that he had all the village of the trainer path behind him. And so we made sure that he knew that there was a whole village that was sending him off, that it was really with him and so that he can meet this other village and be received. And I wish that Scott would be here to, to kind of share his side, but it was, I think for everyone who was at the part, at that um, part of the call, we all, even, you know, Shannon was the first time that she was in that space. We all felt really close. Like, yes, you could really feel the village. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. When I was talking to Dagmar and Mikhail, we were sharing astonishment at the things that are happening now through the various online groups that we're in that never would have happened before. And how much of our lives we had plans and those plans have been just trashed. And, and, and these other things are emerging that we didn't have plans for. And this whole thing from Paul McCartney about life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And it, you know, it's like, okay, who's making these plans? Like, where are these new plans coming from? Because we would not be having this team. I don't think this team would exist here, this, this tribe here, if we, if the, if the virus wasn't going on. And so I'm in many ways blessed also, I think, some of us are really blessed like that. Phyllis, how's it going over in Oregon? Uh, oh, I'm, uh, I'm in some outer space unit right now. <laughs> I'm on a different path right now. And I um, committed to my brother quite a while ago to helping him feel like part of the tribe, part of my tribe, and was successful at that. And now I'm on a journey in um, of recovery with him because he got cancer and he just, he's in the hospital, had surgery. So, and it's yeah, he's going to be okay, but it's still serious. So, 
So we've been talking about feelings and it's like, that's like way out of his box. And it's been a, it's been a, um, whew. it's been a journey filled with stuff, you know, family stuff. I mean, this, he gets so stressed out. So we get, I get to see our family patterns and they come up in a huge way now. So, um, and we're working, we're doing well. So, uh, and, and this is a person who doesn't allow anyone else. He's solitary, he's in control. He doesn't let go of that and he's letting go and he's allowing me to, he's letting me in. And, and then, so then I get to look at my own patterns too. And I'm, I'm dealing with that too right now. Like how I, even though I have all these connections, great, wonderful friendships, I really keep myself alone. And, and, that's, and that's a family pattern too. So I got to figure out how to get beyond that because it, it doesn't enrich me. Wow. Oh, Phyllis, so where are you? Are you not in, where are you? What town are you? I'm in Portland right now. He's at OHSU. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Will you tell, like him, will you tell him we all said hello or sent positive, positive thoughts and positive feelings towards yeah, him? Yeah, I will. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wow. I saw Mia and Jeff want to say something. I just, Phyllis, can I give you some feedback? You know, you know yes. Mia? Yes. Can, can I invite you to make a proposal instead of giving feedback? Like sure. You, just say, I'd like to make a proposal or an offer. Try that. I'd like to make a proposal and offer. Please. So I'm not really sure what words are going to come out of my mouth, but um, I've seen so much growth in you. Like we were together at Intimacy Journeyer with Clinton and Anne Chloe in, in Oregon. And since then, even though it's been on Zoom, Phyllis, I feel like, I, I feel like you've melted into your heart so much more even your face has changed. It's become like more youthful and there's a willingness. And I just, I just want you to know that I see, like, I see a change. Like I see, I see you deepening into um, something what you said you wanted to be, just be. Thank you. That, that touched me. Thank you. I see your hand, Jeff. Hold on a second. Mia, what is your proposal then? Like what, how could she like embrace it or stand in it or, or, or radically rely on it or play with it? Or what, what kind of proposal would there be? Yeah, I, I have no clue because I'm, I'm going through the same thing right now where I feel like my intimacy is, I get to a certain place and I want it. And then I get it and then I don't want it. And then it's just like repetitive, you know, like I, and so I, what you shared Phyllis about that intimacy and having a lot of people around, but it's like, 
for me, it's like I come up against my box or my fear or whatever. And then it's like, I pull away. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the proposal would be. I don't have one. Well, I have a proposal. Go ahead. Uh, so this, uh, I want to contextualize by saying that my experiments and, and, you know, I mentioned last week that the book I'm going to write is about feelings and healthcare and, and uh, barefoot living. And so I propose that you are the most important uh, healthcare professional in this person's life right now in uh, digging through the, through the emotions and the feelings and uh, awakening the message of what this uh, condition is, is, is calling for, for him. So I, I, don't, I don't exactly know who it is, but um, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the last uh, several weeks about people even having, uh, get, having cancer and through their connection to the message healed their conditions. Um, and, and, you know, I, it, even, I mean, just yesterday we, we, we met this woman from Argentina who was at the peak of her career, having the, her, the, the quote unquote, you know, most important years of her, of her career and, and finding out she had uh, a, a, a huge tumor in her abdomen. Um, the day that she had the celebration for her biggest, uh, like contract win ever. And her journey of, of realizing that it was a message that she was on the wrong path and that she was operating in structures that were not meant for her. And through that process, healing her, her, this cancer that nobody thought she would ever make it through. She was given, I think, two months. And um, she somehow found a, a, a physician in Argentina who, who told her that he would not take her to the operating room until she um, did the emotional work and, and got to a state that he felt comfortable operating on her. And once he did, um, the, the, he did operate on her and the, the, the pathology all showed that the tumor had turned benign <laughs> it, it, through, throughout that process. It, it's, so I propose that you might just be the most important person right now in, in the, on the team. Yeah, thank you. I, I recognize that. Well, thank you. Janet, do you, are you sitting on something you want to say? Last week we talked about anger and I was able to be in that space of anger, but I could sense that love was on the other side but I was scared. So I used anger to pull through. And the last few days, I have not been able to stop crying. Um, there is no more anger. And so my, that Mia, when you were talking about that wall, I could see the wall as well. And the only thing that could push me through that wall is getting into a space of rage because I don't want that wall there anymore. But I was too scared but it's like fierce anger. And the other side, that <laughs> I've been afraid to cry because I thought if I started crying, I'd never stop. But that's where it is. That's where it lives. And um, I can see in the horizon joy. 
but it's okay right now. I told my partner, we've been talking about this. And today he said to me, cry as long as you need to, like, just be in that. And the joy is right there. I can see it. And I'm exploding with love. Um, and the word epic keeps comes, is coming up for me. This like epic love that's possible that I only see in movies, but I've never seen anybody ever have that. And it's there, it's possible. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa. Dor, what is happening in your place? So I did this healing process uh, with Michelle and she, she had this connection to light beings and she brought them into the space and it was so powerful. I went in halfway through to a past life of mine and I discovered all this old decision I made that uh, really affected my life until today since I was a kid. And I tried to change him. I, I don't think I had the matrix to, to go there yet because I, I somehow went there with their powerful energies. And I, I tried to make new decision, but they're, they don't really resonate with me right now. Even though I, they came out for me, I said it, I started singing things. I started like weird stuff was going on. And yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm thinking a lot about like getting, you know, starting my, my, my circle and becoming money and being a trainer and all these things connecting now in, into my life with this new with this new matrix and huge change that I'm going through in a huge liquid state. That's where I'm at. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dora. Yeah, it can, it can easily be, it can take three or six months before you're really ready to make new decisions. So what happens a lot of times is where these old decisions they were so deep in our system for so long that we don't know the consequences of them. And so it takes three or six months for those to bubble up and go, oh my God, I'm like this because of that, or I can't do this because of that. And you start feeling this clarity of the, the mechanical kind of clarity about how those old decisions have shaped our life. And then after the clarity has, has come, become present, a new decisions happen auto, auto, all by themselves almost. They happen all, all automatically almost. So it's, I really invite people to hang out there in the consciousness and the painful awareness of the old decision and let the, let the treasure come out of that. Let the painful treasure come out of it and and just the the clarity that comes out is so precious rather than trying to jump right away into some kind of new decision so i'm glad you're doing that door i'm glad that 
you're sensing that and I'm glad you're staying in it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I want to share my, my experience of what Clinton just said uh, from this year. And it also brings a little bit into the sadness that somehow that um, I felt connected with Janet's sadness. And about some time in the summer, I also went through an emotional healing process about a past life. And I had it. I had this revenge that the thing that I went through and that I saw was so horrible, was so ter terrible that I made a promise to, to make the men suffer. And I, I made, and I discovered how that's the, that was where it came from my discovery about the underworld that I had about hating men. But this, this process we were doing through the, going through the emotional healing process. And I, I couldn't let go then of the, of the revenge. I couldn't let go of the revenge. And, uh, and Chloe was holding space for me. And she said, you're not ready. Like, it seems like you're not ready. And it was, it was true. I wasn't ready to let go of the revenge. And what happened was, okay, we, we finished the call and immediately afterwards and for the next day, I, I was in huge grief exactly because I felt the how what, the pain and the consequence of, of holding on to something like revenge. What I realized it was as long as I was holding on to revenge, I was not living. I was not living. And it was like a death process. And to really have, I had two sisters holding me through this whole period in, in a call and they, they just saw me cry. They were, they didn't try to fix it didn't give me any coaching. Uh, I just, they just watched me cry for felt like hours and hours. And so don't, my suggestion is to not hide from that. And that was the, what I needed to move on to heal that and let go of the revenge. Yeah. Very, you just said that you let go of the revenge. What does that look like? It looked like fear at first because the, to, to know that I could, to know that I could maybe interact with men and and be responsible and, and be responsive and not have to protect. What I realized also that I, I, I created even unconsciously and, and now I can even see how, how out of nowhere a thought would come of he's, he's tricking me, he's lying to me. He, um, 
even if I wasn't speaking to a man, don't trust him. He's an asshole. He, um, and, and so to, to, to really let go of that revenge meaning meant that I had to neither have a fantasy about who the person, who the man is in front of me, neither put up like a, a story, like any story. So for me, it meant to be really scared and slowing down, slowing so, so down that I, like I'm so uncomfortably slow that I could just have a moment and another moment. And what I want to say is that I've been doing these experiments and there's so much life and there's so much transformation and love beyond that fear and then beyond that revenge strategy. And I, I can't really yet articulate into words exactly. It's just such a rare moment where it's such a rare thing to somehow get bigger than revenge as a lifestyle. And revenge is a natural state when we're abused victims and children and powerless. And, and then the revenge is so natural in that condition but when we become more present to our own presence and our own capacities of being and connection, and then that transition time is, is uh, it's so precious to notice this, what is actually shifting because I think I think that the, the love that you're talking about or the clarity of not falling into traps and nor creating traps, like not having to function at the domain of strategy and traps because the lay of the land is so clear through, because we're not fooling ourselves or trying to hypnotize other people or play some kind of game. It's just there. It's all just there. So it's not necessary anymore. And, and the, I mean, on the one hand, it's, I, I think in my own experience, it's so horrible to see the, the loneliness and the shame and the self-hatred and the isolation, fear on this terror, like this deep stuff that's going on in, in the people I really love, the people who are close to me. And, why won't they stop talking? You know, why, why, well, because they're afraid that of the space, of the spaciousness, like there's all these things. And yet that, that transition moment of trying to manage it with control and speed and um, fear of traps and compared to not having to manage it because it's kind of obvious, the whole thing kind of becomes obvious. And then to unfold into the, a whole new way. I mean, I think we're having these conversations also because this is what's happening in the book. 
you know, in the book, we're shifting out of this shadow world part into the extraordinary part. And it's such a huge shift. When you just read the book, you just turn the page and it's the next thing. But in us, you know, in us as people, it's a whole chapter of our lives. Um, Can I say something else? Yeah, go ahead. For me, it was, so I was so tired of not being alive and that that's what made me make the decision. But what was on the other side was, I, the thing that I can say is that there was such pressure, like imagine that you have something so precious, so precious that you don't want to consume it. You, and, and, and so you want to go so slow, like so tender towards it. And so this is how I felt life, life or, or living was to go slowly and almost see what I can do for the first time again. Yeah. So that, that, that's as close as instructions I can get. Can leave this sound on there, it's better. <laughs> I don't know what a born again person feels like. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but to have a do over in the in the middle of your life, it's <laughs> incredible. Hmm. Ingrid, what about you there in the library of music? I'm sitting here and I'm really deeply touched and 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 feeling I feel joy and sadness about the beauty of the space and and really i'm um the there is so much longing in me to just to contribute to hold space so that everything can be pronounced so that every everything could be said w which needs to be said here and now and and it's so it's so beautiful to 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 see that to 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 feel that here in this moment to 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 have the experience of that 
so I'm 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 full of gratitude. Thank you all. Thank you. Devin. Hi, Clinton. <clears throat> hey. Oh. I feel like so many things are happening in my life right now that are, it, it's like hard to choose just one uh, to, to share here. Um, the, okay. Um, yeah, something happened a few weeks ago on a call in the morning and it was like this moment for me of, um, I don't even know if I want to share about this actually. It's just, Devin, we'll get back to you. Great. All right. Okay. Gisela, can you say something? Yes. Um, I also feel joy for being in this space, but also sadness. And I could relate to Vera and her story because I also felt lady that I was born again. And- uh, Can you talk about I that? Could, yes, I could see, uh, my box, my gremlin, my patterns. Um, and I could even see myself like in a corner, always like this, saying no to everything, always getting mad at everything that was happening or anything that I was expecting to happen uh, that was not happening. I was feeling like mad or angry and always blaming uh, or complaining, and, and to me, everything was okay. I wasn't doing that. And after several healing processes um, and doing this work, I realized that I was the only one that was um, creating a story and, uh, and blaming others when the work had to be done inside. And I was feeling that I even didn't have the right to be happy and something changed. And I, I felt the right to be born. Um, I empowered myself. I, 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 I am here because I have to be here. I don't feel guilty for things that happened when I was a kid. And I started to really feel, okay, I don't need anybody else to give me what I am giving myself, what I can give myself. And started to build like this strength inside of me that I'm not even like asking others, hug me or kiss me or why you're not doing this when, when I want to. Cause I'm, I realized that I'm giving this to myself and, and instead of 
saying, okay, I need to learn how to love myself. I came to the realization that I needed, I needed to learn how to love others the way that I wanted to be loved, not the way that I wanted to receive love myself. And that was changed everything. Even, even now when I'm talking, I feel so empowered. I, I feel like I'm feeling consciously my anger for having been so long blind and not being able to be happy and to live life. So that's why I relate to Vera in what she said. It's like, I'm feeling that I'm, I'm reborn and I'm, yes. And it's beautiful, it's beautiful because I can be happy and I am happy and, I'm, and a lot of things started to manifest after I changed the way I was seeing my reality and, and I was living my reality and I was feeling my feelings. So there's a lot of work to be done for sure, to continue. And, uh, and I have uh, some reminders, um, personal reminders, physical reminders, like my migraines. It's unbelievable now when I, how I can relate when I'm starting to feel that because as you said, Clinton, it's like very difficult to get, it, you won't get rid of that or you won't, like that won't disappear from one day to the other. It, it, the other is a daily work. So when I see that that is coming, I start feeling my, my, my migraines, but I take that anger consciously and I do things. I transform my reality. I, I even will share this, that this is something that happened yesterday. We went to a cenote and for the very first time in my life, I jumped in the cenote. And I said, I, I, I didn't, I even like uh, had these experiences when I was a kid. So I'm, I'm, I'm deeply touched by, 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 by what Vera said about feeling like that I'm being reborn. So thank you for, for the space. Giselle, thank you for sharing about the migraines because I suffer so much. And um, on Saturday, I had a, a healing process with Patricio and what's underneath the pain is resentment. And, um, and so I, um, I'm wondering why it is that I haven't been able to complete simple tasks and why there is such a mess in every single room, like a mess, like a mess. And when I hung up the phone on Saturday night, I felt the weight of the resentment in a way that I've never felt it because I've been numbing myself to it. And so there, there are the migraines and then I, you know, I hydrate and I you know, do these things and I say it's hormonal. And, and to really take a moment and like connect to that one little tendril that's coming into my eyeball and let it speak to me. And then feel the weight of all this shit I've been carrying around. 
my phone, like now that there's this update on the iPhone, it keeps showing me pictures of the past. I look at this poor girl who is so exhausted and I don't recognize her and I just want to, I just want to like, just hold her and say, it's okay, you can stop. You can stop pretending. You can stop faking the smile. You can stop. You don't have to, you don't have to go. You don't, you don't have to like participate in this bullshit life that you've been sold. This prescribed bullshit life. And so I'm just like trudging through every moment feeling this weight. And I said, I said to Patricio, I said, how long is this going to take? Like, and, and he said, you know, it, it could happen instantly and it, it could take a while. And it, but I, I feel it. I feel it. I feel what I've been carrying around and the weight is, oh, it's so great. So great. And so, and it's like my physical body is a representation of like all this stuff that I've been just carrying around and I, I'm ready to let it go. And also I'm going to, you know, like I mentioned this yesterday on Scott's call and Amanda's call. I'm just like sitting and looking at my mess. And I realized that like all the all the stress I have in my life right now and all this mess is because I fucking didn't take responsibility before. I didn't take responsibility. And I see, I'm like, shit, you didn't take responsibility and now you're dealing with a lot of shit because you didn't take responsibility. And, and so every single moment now it's like, okay, what do I need to do to be responsible in this moment? In this moment, what is the most responsible thing to do? Because I don't want to feel this stress and I don't want to feel this weight anymore. And I want to feel good in my body, in all my bodies. May I ask a question, Shannon? I just want to ask how much parent ego state, or could it be that is parent ego state when you say da 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 responsibility? I don't know. I feel like I was a parent my whole life. And then when my mom died, I got a chance to just be a child. And I've just been so irresponsible. Because I never got to be a child. I had to be the parent. And so thank you for your feedback and your observation.
so <clears throat> interesting how where we're sitting at in the book is this section 6a called responsibility and practice. And I, I'm just going to read some of it and we'll see how this goes it's in this issue in this thing it's on page 111 section 6a responsibility and practices. It's one of the first sections in the extraordinary human relationship. And it, it just goes right into the considerations about responsibility. So something I can say now that's not in the book is responsibility is consciousness and action, awareness and action. Responsibility is applied awareness. And nobody explained that to us. We figured it out empirically. It's a, yet it's a really crucial understanding because people use the word responsibility. We have to use the word responsibility because we don't have another word to explain consequences. I mean, you, you know, in other, other philosophies, you can use a word like karma. But karma is almost like revenge from the universe or something like that, you know, so it doesn't really help much if the universe is playing the game of revenge. But responsibility is, it shows up only through awareness. It isn't, it isn't in, but we've been trained in a completely different relationship to responsibility. So it, the book says this, our education about responsibility has been thorough. We have been trained to avoid taking responsibility. We've been trained to be irresponsible about, ir about responsibility. We've been trained to be irresponsible about responsibility. Instead of learning ways of gripping responsibility cell by cell and nerve by nerve so that the universe moves when we move and responds when we speak, we have learned the ways of cheating and trying to get away with the most for the least. This is the American way. It's the American definition of success. Get the most for the least. If we can receive a benefit and avoid paying the full price, we call this profit. The game has become whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. Avoiding responsibility is the life plan we have inherited from our modern culture. <clears throat> As children, we innocently admitted full responsibility for anything we did, but that didn't, didn't take long for us to find out that if we broke a vase and took responsibility for that, we might get scolded. If we started a fight with our brother and admitted our motives, we might get spanked. If we were late for school and revealed that we chose to come late because catching frogs in the stream was far more interesting than sitting in class, there would be serious consequences to contend with. We rapidly learned that creating excuses, blaming circumstances, 
finding scapegoats, lying and cheating are far less painful than taking responsibility. Over the years, we have perfected our techniques until now, evading responsibility has become an automatic response, an automatic reflex that may form the basis of our relationship to life and therefore our relationship with each other. We've been trained to avoid responsibility because we learn that responsibility has painful consequences. Responsibility makes us guilty. Responsibility means it's our fault. It means we are to blame. Responsibility means we are the one to get punished. Responsibility is a burden, difficult to carry, even more difficult to put down. This is what we've been trained. It's the basis, it's the context of modern culture. <clears throat> the context of a game world, the context of a, of a culture is the culture's relationship to consciousness and responsibility. That's what the context is about. And if you're not aware of the context of your game world, then it's going to be unconsciously serving the general context, which in this case for modern culture is that responsibility is a burden. So there appears to be nothing attractive about responsibility. What we have not been shown is the cost of living life as a game of responsibility dodgeball. So the game of dodgeball is somebody throws a, a ball at you and you try to get out of the way. So the price tag of responsibility is so high because we live in a responsible cause and, cause and consequence universe, a cause and effect universe. There might be other universes with other designs, but ours, this universe, it's a cause and effect universe. A responsible universe works like this. If you decide to do an experiment and walk through the woods and pick up litter, even if you hate picking up litter, even if you know that you're picking up this litter is a theatrical act, and if after the walk, if after the walk you actually have picked up litter, then the litter has actually been picked up. So regardless of all the considerations and all the, all the re reactivity, if you pick up the litter, it has actually been picked up. So this is a cause and effect universe. After avoiding, excuse me, avoiding responsibility brings us out of relationship with our fellow human beings, out of our relationship with nature and out of the relationship with the practical realities of the universe. I mean, in a way, that's what Shannon was talking about when she's saying, you know, you look or she looks around her place and there's a mess. Well, okay, this is just the consequence. It's just, it's just the so-ness of it. I mean, and it can't be avoided. You know, when I look around and I see messes, you know, there's a huge amount of 
stuff that is like a series of actions and inactions that caused the mess. And it would be a series of actions or inactions that would clean up the mess. And we're stuck in the middle of this flow. And there's no, you can, there's no really escaping that. I, you know, for, before I ran into this kind of work, before I ran into transformational work, I lived in a fantasy world that I was a good person or a nice guy, or I lived in the fantasy world that I understood things or, or that things were not as bad as they might appear. Things like that. I lived in this complete fantasy world and it was not until I could actually start owning the underworld that was inside of me that I could start owning the underworld that was all around me in, in the world. And then, and then all of a sudden I could start creating results because I could, I, could, I could own, I could face into, I could start to face into the pain and the shock and the terror and the disbelief that I had about the world being like it is. Like that's, I, without being able to face into that, I had zero effect of creating anything. I couldn't create anything. And so, my fantasy world was killed, it died, and it died badly. So it was not a pleasant ride. I mean, probably I still have parts of it and probably it's still dying, but um, it's, I would not avoid that now. I, wouldn't, I would not avoid that. Anyone trying to destroy my fantasy world, I welcome them. It doesn't usually work these days, it's usually the other way around. People's fantasy worlds usually crash on me these days and they just pop open and it's not a fun sight. But in any case, <clears throat> the opposite of maneuvering to avoid responsibility is taking responsibility. Not only that, but taking responsibility for the level of responsibility that's being taken. And this is we're approaching what's called radical responsibility. And I don't think that's included here, but I wanted to throw it in. When you look around and you notice that there's a level of responsibility being taken and, and a different level of responsibility could be taken, then you see the games that are going on and you take responsibility for the level of responsibility being taken. And then you have, you can do something about it. You can confront it. You can put the poop on the table. You can have a meta conversation. You can change the context of the conversation. And so this is about taking radical responsibility. But taking responsibility for responsibility means, so this is a whole new relationship to responsibility. It means being at source, it means you're being the cause of things. You are being the creator of things. You're being in relationship with things, being the originator of things, owning things means taking care of things. You know, and in the old model of responsibility, if you are to take care of things, it is a burden. It is a cost. It is a, uh, a price that you have to pay or punishment. But what we're talking about is when you are taking care of things, then you're creating them. You are causing them to occur in a certain way. So it's a completely different relationship to the world through this kind of responsibility. 
You're managing things, representing things. You are speaking for things and you're speaking as things. You're taking a stand for something. You're declaring, you're having the consequences of the thing. It's a completely different relationship. It's like, it's like the substance of the universe is responsibility. And when you become responsible, then you're well, you're you're the you become the universe in action. And the consequences of you moving is that the concept is that the universe moves. So it's a and you can't the thing is you cannot use this to serve the dark side. This is what I love about this. It took I was in a kind of a a crisis for some months, probably 15, no, probably 25 years ago. I remember being in a crisis of worrying that the dark side can start using responsibility as a force. And it cannot, and it, the dark side cannot use it because the dark side depends on unconsciousness. It functions only in revenge in the, in, you know, and it, to hold revenge, you can only hold revenge if you're not conscious of the consequences of revenge. I mean, that's what Vera was talking about. He's sharing that so eloquently about the, the being the source of revenge is not living. It is not life. It is a, it's um, constraint. It's a solitary confinement. <clears throat> and so having, uh, taking responsibility cannot happen unconsciously. It's not like you accidentally take responsibility. It doesn't work that way. The, uh, some spiritual teacher at one point, I think it was Swami Prajnanpad, who was the teacher of Arnaud Desjardins, who is a friend of Lee Lozowick, who is a friend of mine, and then therefore a friend of yours, um, said, uh, there's no way around it. You have to pay full price. You will pay full price. And so you either pay full price unconsciously and you end up in a hell world or you pay the full price consciously and you're at the point of origin. You're causing it to occur. And so it's this huge almost paradox of this immense cost, but that's the real price. And so many of the things we buy today, you know, I, I go and I buy a jar of tomato paste or something like that here in La Gomera and it costs one euro and I'm going okay I mean, what does it cost to to get the metal out of the ground and shape it into a steel lid that's covered with enamel paint um, and then this glass that's melted down it's pure clear glass melted down from somewhere some kind of sand filtered out Pure, <clears throat> purified at high temperature, shaped into this glass shape. And then somebody grows these tomatoes. I mean, these tomatoes are a miracle. You know, and the fact that they don't, the bugs didn't eat them and the birds didn't eat them and they didn't get moldy and rotten like that. That, and they're brought together into a pot and cooked down so that, you know, and the seeds are taken out and the skin is taken out and it's made into a paste. 
And then that stuff is squeezed into these jars and the lid put on quick enough so that they don't get moldy on the inside. And then that thing, it's a label put on it made out of paper that's cut down trees with ink that's made out of some kind of chemicals or, you know, how do you make colored inks out of barium nitrate and, and carbon? And I don't know how you make inks to print the label and you glue the label on the jar and then you put it in a box made out of more trees and that's shipped by trucks, you know, to some ship and it's pushed, pumped, driven all the way here. And like, you know, and I, I walk into the store in La Gomera, some island off the coast of Africa, and I can, I can buy that jar of tomato paste for one euro. I mean, this is so wrong. It is so out of balance with reality. The pain that has gone into making a jar of tomato paste in La Gomera is, is so out of balance. It's like there's this insanity. And yet, and yet for most of us, it's just, yeah, sure, I just went shopping and bought some tomato paste. It doesn't, the, the, the responsibility in the jar of tomato paste, it's mind boggling. It's world shattering. It's a kind of, and it's just, you know, sometimes we go shopping and, and Chloe looks at me and goes, well, what are you doing? And I'm just standing there in this shock of, of something like marshmallows in a plastic bag, you know, like colored marshmallows in a plastic bag for sale in the grocery store. And I'm just like the shock of it. She goes, what are you doing? And I'm just going, the marshmallows. And she just kind of holds on to me and nods her head and goes, yeah, marshmallows. I mean, and that's where extraordinary relationship starts. That's the basis of extraordinary relationship is letting the bullshit drop away. It's letting the delusion drop away. It's facing into the consequences of responsibility in reality, in really small things, in moment to moment, ongoing small things together, in like being in this, that same kind of pain together is a basis for extraordinary relationship. It's an exquisite, almost inexplicable, sh shockingly, eye-openingly, touchingly, awe-inspiring, present togetherness in this stuff, which is all around us. Like you got, a couple of you guys said this, there's so much life, there's so much life happening in the, in the smallest things all around us that we're so numb to usually, We've been trained to, to be deluded, to, to like completely blinding ourselves about this. And then, and, it, and then that becomes normal. And it's like, okay, so you have to take a pretty deep breath to let go of the delusion mechanisms, to let go of the fog to let go of the numbness. And you know, the fact that you have to cry for three days, I mean, that is so clear why that would be happening. It is so clear why that is necessary. You know, really it should never go away. I mean, that stuff can't go away. You can't, if, you know, and Chloe and I watched a movie last night 
about this woman in Los Angeles who, who takes a, um, um, an immigration case. And Claire, what's the name of that movie again? Can you say it? Saint Judy. So I don't know how, it's not, it's not much of an old film. It's, I highly recommend it. It's really, it's something called Saint Judy. And so it's like, there, you get to go on a ride with her that is not shocking. It's not so bad. You know, it's not one of these shoot 'em up movies. It's a movie of facing into uh, a legal system in the world, like a, a Western culture legal system which is exterminating life on earth at the fastest possible rate at the moment. And lawyers who are trying to defend the system so that they can follow the law, the, the rule of law. And you know that that would, if it was followed correctly as one interpretation would result in this woman who had escaped Pakistan or something because she was being punished there um, for speaking out against the beliefs that she, if she had to go back to Pakistan, her brothers would kill her. And that's what, and the legal system in America would send her back to being killed by her own family because she refused to be quiet, to, to stop, you know, she, she wanted women to be able to read. She wanted women to be able to think authoritatively. And that's so against the system that the uninitiated adolescent boys, which were her brothers, would kill her to defend their system. And the American system would send her back there to be killed. And, that, and, she, and this, this woman, Judy Wood, was facing into this. So it's a true story. She's still alive. And she, she was facing into this system. I mean, this is a huge, complex legal system thing that we're talking about. And I'm talking about tomato paste in a jar. So it's everywhere. This thing is everywhere. It's in the clothes we wear, the toothpaste we use. It's in really everything. And so there's a kind of aliveness that comes out of the electrical changes in our system that happen from changing our relationship to responsibility. And that's what it means to shift from the unconscious ordinary into the more conscious extraordinary domain of reality. So these are really called domains. I don't know if I talk about that much, but a domain is really, it's a, a, a universe or a space. It's a, it's a, um, the domain is a realm. And I don't know if you've heard the term, there's a, a term in archetypal navigation system, it's called, you need to pay in the coin of the realm, the coin of the realm. So it means you have to use a currency that has value in the system or domain where you are. You cannot pay with a currency that does not have value in that system. So the coin of the realm of the extraordinary domains is responsibility, conscious responsibility. That is the coin of the realm. And it is not cheap. It's not free. It's a, it's a painful, it changes your entire nervous system around to a different thing so that 
I mean, let me be clear about this. It changes your nervous system around so that your friends won't be able to relate to you anymore. The, pe the people that you've been hanging out with will not have any understanding or a basis for understanding of where you're coming from, of, of what, what you're even regarding, what you're even considering, how it even begins to look to you. They, they will not be able, and you will not be able to explain it to them because they have barriers because they are defended against it, just like you were perhaps only hours before. You know, each of us was defended up against this until the moment we were not. It's such an amazing thing. We were completely defended against any awareness until we gained the awareness. Before then we're defended. After that, it's, it's what we are. And it's such an incredible thing about human beings that we can go through these transformational processes. Like that's a transformational process. We're designed for this. We're designed for transformation. We are not educated about transformation. None of our school or media or anything educates us about what our potential is, like what our ability to transform and cause transformation for others is about. But this is, this is kind of the core of it. This is what it's about. And we are each, we're able to do this for each other. And it's a hard thing. I remember, I'm sure you have stories about this. I'm sure you've tried to explain things to a lot of people and have them just have no idea about it. And every now and then, a couple of years later, they'll come up to you and go, Jeff, remember that time you were telling me about bananas? or I don't know, whatever it was you were talking about. And they go, God, I get it now. I get it. You know, and I, you told you were jumping up and down and yelling at me and showing me all this stuff. And I didn't get it before. And uh, I'm sorry about that. Well, it, it seems like it's, it's almost like you, you, you hate that part of you that you're, that, that uh, you just realized. And so you project that onto others who are still doing that. And I guess the next moment after that is where you, where you be the space holder for those who are ready to, to release that, that same part of them that you did at some point. It's in the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about the three phases of, of human experience. And it's like comparing it to solid, liquid and gas, tamas. Raja and Sattva and like you have this locked up energy it's like solid state it's all locked up and then all of a sudden you have this realization and it just starts to pour out like liquid and it's just a lot of energy and you want to tell the world about this amazing thing and then eventually it all settles and it integrates and at that point is when I think you can start to hold space for for others it's uh this this topic that you're covering on on this has been a big key for my growth and, and I feel so passionate about it. And, and I shared that YouTube video, which is very powerful accounts called the story of stuff about uh, consumption and economics. And um, thank you for, for, for bringing that up because this cost externalization is, it's still, it's, we're still paying the price, just not out of our pocket. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you.
So it's the, I use the word domain as a way of distinguishing contexts. A domain will have a certain context and then another domain will have a different context. So there's the domain of the ordinary and the domain of the extraordinary and the domain of the archetypal. And the, probably there's all kinds of other domains, but we're simple beings in a way. And so I'm trying to, but try to simplify things. But, but what happens is, I think what happens is, is we start to get more and more familiar with spaces and contexts and domains and taking radical responsibility for the context of a space or a domain because the context determines what's possible in a space. And what, how do you create the context? Well, it's the distinctions that are, that are woven together to create the context. And you start taking responsibility for weaving certain distinctions together to create a context and then land that context in a space with people who are not able to hold that yet. So you're the one holding the context of a space so that things can happen in terms of transformation and healing for other people. This, this is what, this is, this is being a trainer. This thing is what I call being a trainer. And so when, when people are interested in trainer training, this is the level of responsibility that's needed. It's a kind of, magical technology but what it means is just you know magic to one person is technology to someone else so you're just learning about things that the other people didn't know could be learned about but then you it's it's more like mechanics it's more like uh domain mechanics or transformational mechanics and so i mean i think that that's where this book is really going it's really going to if you know what I've heard from people is they read through the, the ordinary part of the book and it's just hard and difficult and painful. And sometimes they make it through, but it's like just the hor most horrible thing that they could possibly read. And because of the mirrors and then, and then they, some people continue reading and they get to, through the extraordinary part. And it's so in so much in contrast with their, with their current lives that the extraordinary part is just mind blowing for them. And then, then they stop reading. A lot of people stop reading somewhere in the middle of the extraordinary part because it's just, because their life got better somehow. And then they were reading the book so their life would get better and their life got better. So then they stopped reading somewhere around in the extraordinary part of the book. And so it isn't so many people who've actually read the whole book and go into the archetypal part. And those, those would be the trainer types, I suppose. I don't know, I didn't figure it out yet, but how many, how many of you have read the whole book? Has anybody read the whole book? Ingrid. Ingrid, okay. Are, are, you, are you getting into trainer training, trainer path, Ingrid? Are you, are you ready to do trainer path? I think so, yes. I commit now to the, this, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Chloe will be calling you. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so cool. So 
Good. So we're getting a map of domains. That's what this is about. We go from the ordinary to the extraordinary domain. And let's see. I'm going to read uh, up until through the end of this section. I know that we're at the 6.30 time. You know, we used to have this sort of agreement that we would uh, officially end the time at 6.30 and then sit around and talk to people, whoever hung around. But I think that's over. I think we've evolved past that. So we'll occupy the full two hour space with heavy duty stuff and then hang up at the last minute. Okay, so here we go. I'm reading, I'm, I'm page 112, keep reading. Taking responsibility is, okay, I have to rephrase that. Taking responsibility in the new, in the responsible definition of responsibility, in the conscious and aware adult responsible relationship to responsibility, then taking responsibility is a delightful and honorable expression of caring for yourself, for others, and for the world. Responsibility is extraordinary human love in action. Entering the domain of extraordinary human relationship will depend on establishing a passionate relationship between yourself and responsibility. And so just an example of that, I would say would be when you catch yourself having uh, let another purpose slide in, when you were sloppy, when you have a tone of voice that contradicts what you said with your words and it implies a cynical communication or something, whenever anything like that happens, your your joy will return by taking responsibility for what you just created. So it doesn't work to cover it over, sweep it under the rug, pretend like it didn't happen, blame somebody like that you're tired or your hormones are going crazy or anything. None of, none of that stuff works. The only thing that works is to take responsibility for that and, and to crash and burn. It's basically to crash and burn and, and to get so accustomed to crashing and burning that the thing that you employ as a way of maintaining or blocking transformation or blocking awareness, the thing that's trying to block your evolution, that crashes and burns and you sacrifice it. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of your comfort zone. It's a sacrifice of your boxes, habits and the patterns and the the things that your parents did to you and that you learned from some kids at school, whatever, you sacrifice that stuff through responsibility. You're taking responsibility for the results that you're creating because the results don't lie because this is a responsible universe. So if those results were created, then that was your purpose, was creating those results. You get that? It, no matter what you say or what you think, if you and you show up three minutes late to a meeting, that was your purpose, was to show up three minutes late to the meeting. The results don't lie. <clears throat> so it's this was what's great about a responsible universe is you get feedback. You get clear and 
irrefutable feedback. You know, it's, it's at the equivalent of, of hitting your thumb with a hammer. That's the kind of feedback we get in this, in this universe. And so we can, <clears throat> excuse me, pretend, we can pretend like it doesn't hurt or pretend like we didn't hit our thumb with a hammer or pretend like it was the hammer's fault or something like that. But the fact, you know, but, but hitting your thumb with a hammer is, is visible. It's a, so the universe is working like that. So this is, this can be worked with. So when you, the basis of extraordinary relationship then is responsibility and entering the domain of extraordinary human relationship will depend on establishing a passionate relationship, a passionate relationship between yourself and responsibility. In a way, it's like loving responsibility, taking a stand for responsibility. That includes integrity and um, authenticity and things like that. It's like taking a stand in that domain because you care about it, because that's how it works. Inquire about this. Is winning the lottery high up on your wish list? If yes, why? Why would you want to win the lottery? From the perspective of responsibility, winning the lottery is how you can cheat the world of having to be responsible. Western culture teaches that the game of life is won by cheating. If you somehow feel left out or disappointed for having never won the lottery. Does anybody have that? Do you, do you ever feel cheated because you never won the lottery? Anybody ever have that feeling? Come on, you have to put your hand up. I have my hand up. Come on, if you have to. If you ever felt like that somebody wins the lottery and I didn't, how can that be fair? Did you ever have that? Anybody ever have that? Just Nicole? Okay, all right, all right. Okay, so if you feel left out or disappointed because you never won the lottery, this could only occur because you lack skills and practical experience in how the technology of responsibility works. True responsibility is not a burden, despite what the culture tells you. It is a joy and a privilege. Responsibility is intimate participation in a dance with the moment-to-moment -moment causes and needs of the universe. Through responsibility, your creative spirit exuberantly lives and expresses its passions in the world. Through responsibility. The process of establishing reciprocity with responsibility includes both internal and external changes. So let me say that again. We're going through a process right now even of creating reciprocity between ourselves and responsibility. It's like we're, we're setting up this, it's like a seesaw thing. You know, one of these seesaw games in the kindergarten place. If one side goes down, the other side goes up. When the other side goes down, this side goes up. That's reciprocity. It's like it's connected. So to connect, connect you to jack in to responsibility, the process of establishing reciprocity between you and responsibility, it includes both internal and external changes. So 
what's happening as we're doing this is, is things are changing around inside. Things are getting rewired, rethought through, re-agreed, renegotiated. Things are happening inside of us. New parts of the box, our psychological defense strategy, new parts of the box get born. A few parts get ejected. Some parts get re-engineered. Entering responsibility could be likened to being swallowed whole by a giant and proceeding through his digestive system with no way out until the stinking end, at which time you have become useful to something greater than yourself, meaning the ecological system out there. So this digestion period makes you useful to something greater than yourself. And there's a, there's a thing in here that I'll explain. It's called the corridor of madness. And uh, some spiritual teachers have called this process the corridor of madness. The corridor is like a long hallway. And what that means is <clears throat> you enter at one end and you go, ah, cool, this is gonna be transformation. This is gonna be evolution. I'm gonna become more conscious and more aware. I'll get to be able to create other things. I'll serve something greater than myself. This sounds great. This is fantastic. But you, you have to read the fine print. So the fine print at the bottom says, once you enter the corridor of madness, you won't be able to get out until the stinking end at the other side, this giant. You won't, there's no way out. So sometimes when I'm feeling in a light mood, I will draw a picture in the expand the box training or somewhere of three men falling into a bottomless pit. Okay. So the first part of the drawing, you see these three guys and they're scratching their eye, their hands down the walls going, trying to stop, you know, or one guy's in this completely catatonic fetal position, you know, and one guy is just freaking out all the way to just completely. And then the next part of the diagram shows the same three men six months later. They're still following, falling into the bottomless pit. And so the guy who is in the in the ah position, he's just flying through the through this, he's just flying. You know, it's a bottomless pit. He's never going to hit anything. So he's just flying. And the other guy who is in the fetal position, he's just meditating. He was just completely relaxed, just meditating. And the other guy is like picking his nails or just, he's just laying back, you know, watching the wall go by or whatever. It's like, so it's the same guy as six months later. So, so this journey through the intestines and the stomach of this giant through the corridor of madness, you have to get it that when you go in the stomach, the stomach jumps acids on you. It's going to digest anything that can be dismantled into the component parts. You know, it's this, it's, it's going to dissolve any, it's going to bring you into liquid state. It's going to, it's going to de-chunk you. It's going to take you, disassemble whatever, whatever things are hanging together will be disassembled so they can be reordered. So this feels like going crazy. And how many of you can verify that it sometimes feels like going crazy when you're in this process. Okay, 
And the other people who didn't put, yeah, Sophia Magdalena, I thought you were not going to put your hand up at all. I mean, that's because you're just being a bad girl now. That's why. <laughs> no, but, you know, it feels like you're going crazy. But, you know, you know, why do we watch movies? I mean, people watch horror movies. You know what I mean? People watch horror movies so they can feel like they're going crazy. I mean, gosh, why don't you just go feel like you're going crazy and then you don't have to watch the horror movies because you actually have your own experience of going crazy. So the corridor of madness is simply a model or a metaphor that in historical times, spiritual teachers have tried to describe the evolutionary processes that you go through when you are able to enter extraordinary and archetypal domains. You have to reorder yourself. So this metaphor of the giant, where it says, um, it's like, it could be likened to being swallowed whole by a giant and proceeding through his digestive system with no way out. That's what that means. Until the stinking end, at which time you have become useful to something greater than yourself. It may not be what you would have expected. You know, you probably thought you'd be, turning into an angel instead of a giant turd. But, you know, angels are not very useful to something greater than themselves, actually. Angels are not usually what you think they are. Being digested by a new relationship to responsibility occurs over time and through efforts, meaning your efforts, also the efforts of others on your behalf, but it's efforts. Efforts involve both starting new behaviors and diverting yourself from repeating other behaviors. So that's a secret right there because you can't stop behaviors. You can't stop thinking about a certain, you know, it's, it doesn't work to try to stop doing something. What works is to put your attention somewhere else and do something instead of that to replace a behavior, but it just really doesn't work. I'm sure you've tried this yourself. Many experiments for developing responsibility muscles are outlined later in this book. For starters, begin tracking the little ways that you habitually avoid responsibility in your day-to-day -day life. At the office, on the street, at home with the family, at a party, in private, wherever you go, whatever you do, simply notice the details of how you are avoiding responsibility. How are you trying to get away with things? Who do you specifically not listen to? What do you avoid noticing? Where do you make little messes without any consideration at all about cleaning them up? How do you avoid seeing the long range picture of things? How do you numb yourself to feeling the consequences of what you do or don't do? Where do you leave responsibility to someone unknown to you, someone else unknown to you? Start keeping an irresponsibility journal. You know, just write that in your beat book and just go, and just start the section called my irresponsibility journal and start tracking all the little ways that you're dancing away from a responsibility. <clears throat> List whatever you discover there. 
the exercise is not to blame yourself. This is not about blaming yourself or judging yourself or criticizing yourself. This is a, an effort in self-observation. Self-observation is neutral. <clears throat> if when you observe yourself and you blame yourself for what you observe, this is not self-observation, this is self-flagellation. Okay, that's a different course. Okay, we're not doing self-flagellation course here. Okay, that's not self-observation, that's self-obliteration, something like that. Your gremlin, you know, loves beating yourself. Okay, we don't, we're not doing that. That's not what this is about. It's completely neutral. You just write it in your book, that's all. You just notice it. The exercise is not to blame yourself, but rather it is meant to encourage you to be accountable to and to discover how responsibility is avoided. Like you're learning the technology of avoiding responsibility. The more precise your personal examples are, the more clearly you will grasp exactly how your box works, how your gremlin works, how other people's box works, how other people's gremlin works, and the mechanics of modern civilization, modern culture. Anything about any of that right now? We've got 10 or 15 minutes before we will come to an end here. In, I'm changing this subject. This is the 14th of December. In two weeks, on the 28th of December, which is three days after a Christian uh, pagan holiday called Christmas. Um, we have a meeting, it's a Monday night, it's the 28th of December. I propose that we reserve that meeting for something a little different, for more of a, a uh, a connection evening. And, and Chloe and I have some ideas for that. We're not telling you how it will work, but I'm just asking you to prepare yourself that we will, on the 28th, we will not be kinds of uh, intimacy processes. What I've heard from the other side of the door is that uh, we are cooking and I are cooking up something and it won't be a study of the book and it will be more of a connection space and a intimacy creation space. And while I have the microphone, I just want to say that um, on Saturday, I've had this challenged by my teams and rage clubs and fear clubs and rage club space holder and on saturday i um wanted to do a more practical version of 
this study group and it's called Intimacy Starts With Your Authority. And so anybody here, uh, you're welcome and just yeah, reach out to me if you are interested in joining. Because two hours, it's in the evening here in Europe. So it's in the morning in America. It's a work talk, right? It's a work talk. So okay. we'll be practicing and I'll try to not talk so much and we'll be working more. <laughs> Good, thank you. Okay, about all this, uh, what we were talking about, it was pretty significant stuff. So I just wanna to check to make sure people, are, anybody's got any questions about it. Hello, Joseph, you're coming in on a moving train. Um, anybody have any, anything up about any of that? Definitely in the belly of the giant. Thank you. Ingrid, go ahead. I, I have a question I have for the book here in German. And uh, the part when it's written, uh, responsibility for responsibility to, 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 to care that, there is one example, and there is written in German, besitzen. So owning. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, there's two, there's two ways basically, I'm sure maybe more, but there's two ways of, of relating to ownership. One is that you're the boss or you can determine what happens to the thing next. That's like a, I, like a slave, you own, you own a slave in a way. But there's, a, there's an amazing game that you can play that hopefully someday you will get to play which is, is you play it in a, a community space and you divide into pairs and one person puts their hand up and they get to be the slave. And for three days, the other person gets to be the master. And so the slave does everything the master tells them to do. And the flip side of it is, it's the master's job to take care of the slave. Because if you don't tell the slave to eat or put on a jacket or you know, brush their teeth or sleep or whatever, drink water, they won't do it. So it's the master's job to take, to take care of the slave. And so in a way, if you, if you get the game, the slaves own the masters. And that's this quote from Fight Club where Brad Pitt is saying, what you own owns you. What you own owns you. And so, so there's a that that leads us to a different relationship to ownership. It's like, it's so it's like, for example, let's say you lie to somebody. To own your lie, you would go to them and say, I lied to you about this. So you own it. You take you take responsibility for it. So and then and then the consequences of lying, you're, you're taking ownership of the consequences of lying. Or, um, so it's a, it's a different kind of, it's a diff so I don't know what the word besitz means in German, if it means that you possess the thing or you become the thing, you know, that you have the consequences of it. 
you usually that you possess the thing <clears throat> but also it's it's you can also see it really in this uh, as you explained it that you are responsible for what you possess mm -hmm. yeah and Chloe yeah it's not really about uh really the last chapter about responsibility but it was uh maybe about what was shared in terms of trying to convince people to take responsibility try to change people sort of what we were talking in the beginning and i uh yesterday or the day before i had a, s a series of calls with different people and some of them were quote-unquote painful or the people that I was talking to, I was putting their attention on something that was not really pretty to look at. And I was there on the other side and I'm like, what? okay, I cannot change anything. Like I cannot, they get to decide what, how they, they want their life to be. So what do I do with all that uh, as a space holder and as a, yeah, as a space holder and listener. And just because a lot of, people here I think are also space holder. What I realize is what I do is that I harvest that or I take that and bring it into the spaces of people who want to change and who want to transform. And I get examples and ways that those people can relate to. And so I, I transfer the, like I move the energy around. I keep moving the energy around instead of like having it stuck with me. And I, I bring into the next space that brings clarity and um, yeah, like people can can see themselves in that. And then the relevance of the distinction of the clarity I'm bringing makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm making that offers for space holders here. Thank you. I, I wanna say also something about not just not really about the chapter, but I think it kind of relates to what Anna Chloe is saying just in another way. Just after I shared, uh, I asked Sophia Magdalena, who's sitting next to me, to hold space because it it just kind of opened a lot of grief, the and a lot of joy, and then a lot of grief, and and I it kind of felt like dragon speaking, but with sadness. And, and what I realized that the thing that comes from to, to me is, is that if people knew what they were missing, people knew what they were, the kind of intimacy or the kind of love or the kind of way of connecting to Gaia, maybe that, that would be enough motivation to take responsibility. And it, it, I, I think it reminded me of a, a guy, um, it's kind of well-known guy called Charles Eisenstein, who made a workshop uh, that I attended. And the title of the workshop was about Gaia, was about the planet. And it, he said, if you, if you knew she could feel, if you knew she could feel, you would stop. If you knew she could feel it, you would stop. And this is was was coming from this huge rage and this huge grief, mostly grief. It's if people could only know that 
what else can happen? Would that motivate them enough to take responsibility and create it? And, and I don't really know the answer to that question, but that's, it was enough for me to commit to, to create paths so that people can know, can, can kind of sense that what is possible, what is possible. So, and, and that's my book. That's the book that I'm gonna write. I have no idea about it yet, but that's, it needs to be written. Kalista, talk to us. There's king tide right now on the West Coast and the waves are just magnificent. And Vera talking about Gaia, I'm just so grateful <laughs> for Gaia's beauty and what she gives to us. It's an honor to be on this planet. Anything else about anything else from today or whatever? <laughs> I want to start my, um, my irresponsibility journal. Great. Great. Thank you. Hi, Clinton. Who's that? Hey, Michelle. Michelle. Hey. So I've been having this recurring theme around harshness and navigating harshness. And right now, when Aunt Chloe shared about how to transfer the energy and move it from people that don't want to change, but use that energy to the ones that do. I'm feeling like that. I want to only be with people that understand what harshness does to all of us. And for me in particular, I'm more and more taking responsibility for how harshness has affected my life and I don't want it anymore around me. And this is what I wanted to say about that. And I take a stand for not harshness and for kindness and love and not sounding shanti shanti, just there's a way we all, we don't all need harshness to evolve. somehow yeah there's this thing i've i've been thinking about this for quite a while too michelle and it is i think i first really really hit me literally when i smashed my leg on a rock it was i was rock hopping through the sierras and i and this rock just flipped around and just smashed into my leg it was absolutely harshly and it was like this harshness came from my environment. And, and yet I didn't want the rocks to all melt down and be liquid. 
So I didn't, I realized that it was me crashing into the rock that made it harsh because the rock is a rock. I don't, it's, and I just, I'm just offering that only because we have like a minute or two to think about, you know, to talk about it, but it's just a, like the rock, I mean, I have scars on my leg from different, you know, smashing into met metal objects or stones or things like that. And it's, mm. it's been me, it's been me hitting the harsh things. And it, because they didn't, I, you know, I wanted to blame them, you know, that they were attacking me or something like that. I, were you on the whole call, Michelle? Were you in the beginning? Yeah, I was. Huh? You know, so remember that part we were talking about this field awareness of, of how things actually are. I think, God, who was it? I forget who was talking about the, like the illusion dropping away of things being how I want them to be. And then the pain of realizing they are how they are, but then along with that pain comes the ability to just not smash into things, like to move around things. And I don't know if that's useful to notice the harsh, there are people who are harsh or they're, you know, it was done to them, so they're going to do it to you kind of thing. And to not necessarily stand close enough to them to get harshed upon, because you can see them from 100 meters away. And just, and in, in your, your pain, your awareness of it allows you to take care of yourself in a way of not being victimized by the harshness that's going to exist, like I victimized myself with the rock, you know, smashing into the rock. It's my fault. I did it. I don't know if that's useful. Thank you. And oof, there's a lot of layers around this topic for a while now. A yeah. lot of layers. So more, more, more there. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for speaking. I recognized your voice before I could see your face. I go, God, that's Michelle, but I didn't see her on the screen before, so thank you. Thank Yay, you. Mexico. Arriba. What's, up? What's going on with your right arm? It's carpal tunnel from oh, okay. all of the phone and technology stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. Jonathan, anything you want to say hello, goodbye? Yeah. Um... I was thinking when we were, you were reading this chapter about taking responsibility, I was thinking of something that I just recently heard and that stuck with me. Um, and it's a, a Buddhist thing. It's, it's, going, it's something like, uh, if you see a job, it's yours. And I really like that because this is, this is a very simple thing you can apply like every day to, to take responsibility you see some trash on the floor you think like oh who left the trash you just pick it up or yeah whatever it's it's a it's a nice it's a nice exercise and i think it creates a lot of awareness and um yeah it's something i'm doing right now thank you that would be an excellent place to end for the evening and the day to enter radical responsibility. You see a job, it's your job. Doesn't mean you have to do the job, you just get to see that the job gets done. Okay, All right. Well, thank you for being here, everybody.
Thank you for sharing and making the space so valuable for everybody. Take care of yourselves, play hard, keep experimenting, make your irresponsibility journal. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.